Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Horticulture Week editor Matthew Appleby and today I'm with Provender Nurseries MD Richard McKenna who has more than 20 years experience in the supply of nursery stock to landscapers and is one of the leading figures in the industry. It's always good to chat to Richard, one of the most um, entertaining and um, pleasant guys in the industry. So welcome Richard. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you. Very, thank you for being nice. <laughs> well, it's good to see you. And um, it's been a crazy couple of years, a couple of roller coaster years in the industry. But is it all a bit calmer now, would you say? Yeah, it, it's um, I don't think anybody could have predicted what's happened, could have happened, did happen over the last few years. Obviously, we have a fantastic product everybody wanted and loads of nurseries and Businesses found ways of delivering the goods. Literally, uh, yes, it's been it's been it's been a roller coaster. It has its ups, it's had its downs, it's had its challenges, but I think it just shows how uh, resilient we are as an industry of finding solutions and, and getting our product to market. So, what do you think we've learned from that roller coaster, from those you know crazy times in the last couple of years when demand was so big? I think what did we learn? That's uh, I think what we learned is that. Everybody reverted back to nature. Everybody reverted back to their garden. I think our customers and our customers' customers, some people on the line, actually really appreciated how important it is to be surrounded in green. And I think it's recharged people's memories of their youth, their childhood, their holidays, and getting out in the garden and being surrounded in, in, in foliage. Uh, gardens don't judge. It's a space that's safe. It's green. It, it recharges the mind. It recharges the soul. I just think people realize how, how really important our space is, and you know, people spend a lot of money in their houses and and their cars and all their things around them. But a garden can give far much more back. And is all that going to linger on? Do you think into twenty twenty three? That's the big question, isn't it? I, I'm asking people, and they're saying, "Oh, we don't know. Depends what the weather does. You know, it might be calmer. It might be more normal. Like, what's going to happen next year?" 
Well, re- regretfully, my crystal ball is not working today. <laughs> but um, I, I, I do think we may lose some of those customers we found, some of these new people. But I do believe that there is a generation out there now that has found gardening that may well um, live with it and um, take it on board and become gardeners or looking at the new houses being built. Um, some of these gardens are tiny if they have gardens. So um, I, I think communal spaces will be much more important. People's uh, green spaces, the people's personal green spaces getting small, except for the wealthy who have big, large properties. Um, so I, I think there will be people who look who will demand green space, whether it's their own space or space that's accessible to them. Whichever way it comes, I think the green space is important. Just drilling down a bit, what have you going to learn from all this for your business? How have you changed in the last couple of years and looking ahead to 2023 in terms of what plants you supply, how you supply them, who you're supplying them to? Well, I think what's changed in, what's changed in the business is we have a business plan written in pencil. So uh, when it needed to be adapted and changed, we can. Um, I think the ability to change is paramount and not wait uh, plants and for the future uh, we're working really hard on securing uh, the right material and the right material is different for different people uh, when you're supplying a large uh, domestic garden uh, the, the size and the quantity of material is way different than if you're supplying a pop-up streetscape uh, project in the middle of London or you're doing a, a um, beautiful uh, roof tire- terrace garden in the middle of London and private property. So the, the, the demand and the request of plants is so varied. Um, a London garden compared to a Kent Coast garden compared to a Norfolk garden or a Devon, Corn- a Devon Cornwall garden is, is very different. So we work really hard to have a really broad range of plants in various sizes. And that's one of the strengths of Provender. We have a great network of suppliers. What's really changed? I don't think anything is really going to change. I just think at the moment we're just going to uh, make sure we got continuity of supply, make sure the plants we offer are are as uh, healthy and uh, looked after the best we possibly can and try and find material on a year-round basis so we can supply plants literally 12 months of the year when they're in season and out of season and that's getting harder oh well you mentioned continuity supply what is supply like at the moment and are are there any plants which are more in demand than they used to be or less in demand than they used to be uh plant supply at the moment on the smaller sizes two three liter up to 10 liters is is excellent um this time last year it was definitely in short supply this year there's plenty of stock out there in the smaller sizes Anything I good quality stock, meter and a half, two meter up, multi stem trees and shrubs, I is still in short supply, in my view, and uh, smaller size trees, trees, ten twelves, a ten, ten twelves, twelve fourteens, can be a little bit hard to find, um, but in general the stock's a lot more available. Like this time last year it was really hard to find. Um, certain root balls and certain laurels but this year we can find them anywhere so there's definitely there was a lot of people reserving a lot of stock last year looking for looking forward to a very busy autumn winter spring summer that didn't really materialize 
So I think the shortage of stock last year was so many people over uh, reserved, overbought the stock, uh, looking for another th- for a third year of effects on sales that didn't really deliver. Now, that's interesting. I mean, obviously everyone knows this, but what, what do you think did happen? How would you sum it up how 2022 went? It didn't quite materialise as, as hoped. No, I, the, I think people were, were somewhat frightened or alarmed by the war kicking off in March time. Um, then, you know, the economy, um, inflation started to take off. Yeah, and I, I, but personally, here in Kent, I, I do believe that the drought in June, July, and August did way more damage to our sales than anything else. So um, yes, we had the material, we had the product, we had the, everything to support it. But people just didn't want to plant gardens when it was thirty degrees, thirty to thirty plus outside. Why, you know, why buy a whole pile of material and and then be. Um, tied to maintaining it in a very hot summer like we've so i do believe the weather had a much bigger impact on our sales here at provender than um than anything else do you think that means that people might change what they grow in the future they're going to be growing more mediterranean stuff less thirsty stuff or or what well you can plant a mediterranean garden but the last three weeks of an rain we've had the plants will be doing the backstroke you know <laughs> so we we, we we might be having a very hot dry summers but we're having quite wet winters so i think we need to be careful we don't jump out of um moving rapidly away from what we've grown for a long time moving to very arid loving plants and then realizing they don't like our wet um sodden uh, ground for the winter months so yeah, we we can go Mediterranean, but we're going to have to make sure there's plenty of drainage for the, for the winter months, or we're going to have to stick to normal. We're we're going to have to make sure that when gardens are and installations are planted, there's really good irrigation done, and really good mulching and really good moisture retention in the soil. So I, I I don't think we need to jump too far away from what we've been planting for the last. 20, 30 years. Yes, there is a migration across to some more tender trees. Albizzi, as I always consider, is a tender tree, has flowered in my garden remarkably well the last five, six years. Acacias, I would always consider as a London plant, and they flower remarkably well in my garden. Um, so, yeah, and I'm cold and exposed. So, there is definitely a move on some, uh, not as cold in the winter, but it can be very wet. So, Mediterranean plants do like a dry. Mm-hmm. So we need to be a little bit careful. Now, people are talking about how, you know, there's a kind of second spring happening in, in the sort of late autumn, like blossom coming out again, and what how that sort of haywire seasons might affect things long term. You got any view on that? Well, the heat in the summer stressed the plant out. Usually when the winter months, the tree goes dormant and the tree shuts up. The tree the tree shut down basically June, July and August to, res- to conserve its... Uh, growing and then along come a lovely mild long prolonged autumn with really mild loads of water and everything has started to flourish again sometimes i've seen that in, in southern europe when you're when i'm buying stock but i've never before had a um, prunus autumnalis rosea in full flower with the leaves completely green in, in my own garden so yeah it, it was incredible to see um there was a hedge that we cut back here on site a mixed native hedge we cut back in the summer and um, it's put a meter, meter and a half growth on since the end of June. So it's almost put as much growth on in the autumn as it did in the spring. So it is incredible to see. 
I had a um, Davidia uh, a handkerchief tree flowered this spring and I flowered again in July or, or August I flowered again. So there is some really weirdness going on out there. How do trees respond to it next spring? It'll be really, really interesting to see. Yeah, I guess that's the big question. I mean, is there, is there, have you got any views on what might, might happen? I mean, does it mean that people are going to have to buy more plants because you know plants are dying or because plants are, are going a bit crazy and running out of steam or, or what? Um, why do plants die? Plants die because they generally don't get established well enough or they don't get fed or sometimes they're over, overfed. Um, plants are very resilient. Definitely some material was planted in last spring. Um, may have failed during the summer because it was not watered, irrigated. But I think plants that are flowering twice in one year, I, I think that they will reset. They may not flower next spring, but I think they will reset and 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 go again. So uh, I think they would. I think the plants will be far more uh, better at adapting than humans are. <laughs> no, indeed. Now you touched upon big big question which is going around at the moment and has been for many years i suppose is biosecurity and importing plants yeah and we've done so much on this recently it's obviously front of mind for you too so what's your view on where biosecurity is at the moment is are we are we becoming fortress britain and trying to ban too much stuff coming in and concentrate too much on homegrown or is the balance okay Ah, how long do i have Um, 10 minutes (laughs) (laughs) um biosecurity it's been here for 25 years. There's been plant passporting introduced um, probably in the 90, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. In the UK, plants have always been traceable in the UK. That's imported and, you know, we've always had computer systems to trace stock, whether we, where we buy it from or where it goes to. Obviously, since we left um, Europe, uh, European Union, um, obviously DEFRA have more teeth. They can respond quicker to changes in the environment or changes of uh, pests and diseases coming in. So beforehand, we probably had a longer um, time period if we knew there was something happening that had to go back to Brussels and get a, a consensus what Europe is going to do. But now a DEFRA can obviously respond much quicker and tell us tomorrow what's happening tomorrow. So are they making a fortress bitten? Um, I think they are working very hard to stop anything coming into the country that, sh- that shouldn't come into the country, which we have to support um, as an industry. I think we, we have a responsibility to make sure we don't import anything that uh, we shouldn't. And most of us in the industry work very, very hard to make sure that we don't import any pests or diseases that we don't want to or that the UK government don't want in. Um, As an industry, we're very visible and we put our hands up and we say we are importing. We say this is what we're bringing in. we work the nurseries who there's a lot of nursery work really hard to do it right but there's also businesses out there not necessarily horticulturists um but that bring in stock that may flout the rules and don't care where it comes from they might be buying it on price or whatever another reason to bring it in it could be holiday makers you know an awful lot of material comes in the back of people's cars people's suitcases into the uk and that's not regulated at all so and that you know, there's as much um, possibility of a nasty coming into the UK via people's suitcases or the cars coming through Channel Tunnel or the ferry. So, you know, we are one part of um, Fortress Britain, if you want to call it that. But yes, we probably bring in the most amount of material. But being professional, we should be doing it right. 
it does worry me that the peripheries who don't know what they're doing could bring in material that could be much more damaging. I know you've done a lot in terms of biosecurity to improve it. So what, what have you done? What sort of measures have you taken? Well, over the last few years, we, uh, we've massively improved our facilities and sites. So when we're loading, offloading, day, night, summer, winter, we have um, facilities we can drive trucks into. We can uh, offload them out of the wind and the rain. We can be slower. We can check every plant that comes off. We got four isolation pods, so that if there's a product coming in we don't like, we can isolate and put away from all our other stock. All our team and the nursery has been fully trained on site, and with Defra coming in, Fera coming in on site, teaching the staff. Um, I've been back on the road this summer uh, visiting suppliers, which I've not had the opportunity to do very much the last two years. And we're going back uh, visiting, we must have visited 40, 50, 60 suppliers in June, July, and August. And making sure all their paperwork is up to up to speed, making sure their nurseries are clean, making sure that they can do everything they need to do their side before it comes into the UK. So, and there's one or two nurseries that I will no longer be purchasing from because I don't think their standards are good enough. Um, the stock might be cheaper, or you know, but I just don't think their nursery is clean enough. And also, I'm looking at weeds. I do think mayor's tail is a weed in Europe. It's got very, very bad again. So there's some nurseries that are not controlling weed population as well. So it's a real matrix of, of, of uh, material and knowledge and information that we consider when we're buying material and who we buy from. But that does not mean that we don't have problems. I think all good nurseries who are importing material, and a lot of it, or a little amount, will have problems and nurseries are destroying stock in the UK at the moment but not every nursery is talking about it because we don't want to be the nursery or oh, their burning plants or oh, their burning plants or oh, their burning plants and nurseries of burnt plants or destroyed plants could be seen as uh, as dirty nurseries and I can I would like to I would like us to change our, our view on that. I think nurseries who destroy plants are actually doing it right and are actually very clean nurseries because all the material is being checked. Now, well, we've done quite a bit on this, particularly with Stephen Curdy, who's talked about how if you tell DEFRA, then you get yourself into trouble. If you don't tell them, it might be a wiser thing to do um, in terms of keeping in business. I mean, what's your view there? Well, I do believe, yeah, you know, Steve did everything right. And I, I guess DEFRA's views, they did everything right as well. Um, you know, it's... It, it, it does worry me a little bit that it will make nurseries consider their position before they do something because the ramifications of it could be huge. So I, I think it has put caution into, into the industry. Um, you know, will it stop uh, more plants being imported? It probably won't. Will it make sure everybody's doing as much legwork before, before plants come in? Absolutely. You know, uh, should there be a compensation scheme for plants? Yes, I th- I do think there should be. You know, what's the difference between plants and animals? You know, um, if they can find funding to to, to um, fund the, the destruction of animals over disease, why can't they find funding for destruction of plants? That is a big question that I was going to ask about compensation because, you know, I asked DEFRA yet again about compensation the other day and they basically dismissed it, saying it's never going to happen. Um, do you think it ever would happen? Well, I, we, we need to work together on this. You know, 
we as an industry we need to import material there's no way the uk plc can grow all the material to the quality and standard that we import um so we need to import we need to do it clean we need to do it effectively you know we need to work with defer and other european uh, health agencies uh, plant health agencies to comply with it, it, it we're, we're all in this together you know and I, I do think we had a really really good communication with Nicola and everybody at DEFRA at the very beginning you know to give the, give the industry confidence um, coming out of Europe and how there was so much change about to take place so you know I think it'd be really good we need to keep that communication going I do with I, I personally I feel that we have lost a little bit of direct contact with the um, powers that be in DEFRA to the nurseries. I, I think they actually need to talk to us on the nurseries, uh, to people on the, on the ground, and actually, guys, what is, you know, I, I think that it goes sometimes to too many filters. So the decision maker and the guy on the ground, there's too many steps in between. The, the, the knowledge of information gets diluted down on what's, you know, there, there's a, a void in knowledge that needs to be filled. And I just think the, the, the person on the ground buying the plants, importing the material, needs to talk to the decision maker at the top so we see each other's point of views directly without it being watered down. No, no, indeed. No, uh, Stephen Curdy, we mentioned earlier on, had issues with pine processionary moth. Yeah. Um, and pine and cedar are being banned. Is there any other trees which you think are on the horizon that might get, get stopped bringing in? Well, I, I think the only people that can answer that are the people who are making the decisions on, on, on policy. So, you know, they can wake up tomorrow and ban something the following day or even tomorrow if they want to. So I don't think the grower, probably the grower sometimes is the last person to know of what's being banned and how is it going to be banned. You know, they're obviously looking how they're going to import and move oaks around inside uh, the different zones. So that will be uh, possibly change coming in line for that. But, you know, could it be pines next? Could it be prunus with xanthomonas? We just don't know. Obviously, we, we, the industry is working really hard to keep Zylella out of the country. You know, if, if that comes in, that could be huge. Um, you know, obviously, DEFRA have all the knowledge. They're scanning, um, horizon scanning of, of material that's coming in. They're seeing the results. They know what plants are being destroyed daily weekly monthly in the uk a lot of nurseries don't know what's been destroyed and i think the, i think we need to be a braver as an industry to come out i'm destroying plants i'm destroying plants like this year gone by we destroyed some acubas that came in uh, back in the spring last year we, we destroyed some uh, prunus rotundifolia in the two liter that came in well like we are destroying plants every six or eight months because they don't like what's on them when they come in but that's a good thing i think there's loads of other nurseries destroying plants but none of us are talking about it because we just don't want to be seen as the dirty nursery no that's really really interesting i guess the industry response is plant healthy one of the industry responses anyway the accreditation scheme do you think that's been recognized enough by defra and everybody else well defra is, as i believe was, was one of the uh um, founders behind the scenes that helped making it work um, we went through the process uh, about uh, two years ago nearly and we actually improved our uh, systems and, and uh, on site our training on site because of it it identified some, some weaknesses that we had um, so it actually helped us to improve what we do 
um, we were the first cash and carry to go through the process. So other nurseries had done it. They were kind of closed door nurseries that they grow everything on site. But we have much more material coming in from the UK and from abroad. So we had to look at it through a different set of um, different set of eyes. So we 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 helped them develop it a little bit along the way. But it was a very it is a very good scheme. Um, we had our first reappraisal last January and we're coming up for our second reappraisal this January. I, you know, it, it makes sure that we do everything we say we're doing. I think it's a good. I, I think it's a good good scheme. And more nurseries are on board now. I think it's over thirty people, yeah. thirty forty. I think there are five, five or six in the scheme. I think the more nurseries that do it, the better, because I think they will realise um, what they need to do to be compliant. And I think that's a good thing. No, brilliant. Well, we've covered a lot of ground there, Richard. So, uh, just in a nutshell, what do you think the future is for the you know the cash and carry, which wants to import plants? Um, all our plants have to be traceable. So we have to know where it comes to. We know we need to know what customer we sold it to. And then our landscape customer, garden design customer, commercial user, the plant needs to know where the plants go when they sell it onto their client or install it in a garden or a green environment. Um, our plants are very traceable uh, both ways, I think is great. I think the retail market where plants are delivered and there's absolutely no traceability I think it's very hard on retailers to make plants traceable, but I think there's a massive void there. Why is the commercial sector so heavily traceable? And we probably sell a smaller proportion of plants in the UK than the retail market. So that's an interesting juxtaposition there. You know, why are we hammered and retail wouldn't is not as controlled. Okay, different people might have different views on that. Going forward, I think there's a much better source of uh, supply. I would like to see more plants growing in the UK, but I, then I think there has to be a, a greater government strategy with um, planning um, to, to give permission for nurseries and extension of nurseries. I think there has to be greater work with the environmental agency, the EA, to make sure these nurseries have access to water. Um, and then, you know, we, the government will also have to support education far greater than they have because horticultural training colleges are disappearing. And if the colleges are there, there's very few people on commercial courses, you know, go try and find a propagator, go try and find a nursery manager, go and find, try and find a, a somebody who can work in the fields or prune trees all day long in the UK. You know, I think there's a real shortage of skills, but we've been saying that for 25 years. It's got no better. So, you know, it it's, gets tiring saying the same thing all the time. But, you know, there is a great opportunity for UK horticulture to grow more, but we can't grow everything. So we have to find a way of importing clean stock. Um, so going forward, I think UK horticulture is actually in a very, very strong position. Um, there is some massive commercial work and the country needs greening up. We, we know how good trees are at absorbing carbon. And we know how good green is for people's personal well-being. So going forward, if we get it right, and I do believe the government have a far greater responsibility and they need long-term plans. They need plans 5, 10, 15 years ahead and they stick to them. So when growers grow trees for the future, we know there's, there's a market for them. No grower wants to grow anything then for five years, 10 years down, down the line, then there's no market for them. And it goes in the fire heap and that's soul destroying, incredibly wasteful. 
and not what horticulture is about. Brilliant. Okay, well, I think uh, that's given us a pretty good glimpse into the future there, Richard. Well, no, it's, 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 it's my glimpse, and it's not necessarily right. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. I think you've always got a good, a, good, a pretty sensible view. But now we want to hear your view on uh, uh, Trademark Horticulture Week question, which is, which plant would you take with you if you were stuck on a desert island? What is your favourite plant, Richard, just to round things all up? Uh, that's, that's a tricky one. Um, it depends on the day, the week. Week of uh, the month and the month of the year because it, it changes. One of the first plants I learned when I came to study at Riddle many, many years ago, there was a pair of fantastic Metasequoia glyptotraboides growing beside the bridge, beside the river, the stream of running in front of the college. And I'm from a farming background, I'm not a horticulturist, um, and I didn't know anything about anything, and I had to learn about these trees, and I'm dyslexic. So I really struggled to learn Latin names. I'm still terrible with people's names. But I got a little book called Plants Simplified by A.T. Johnson. And I looked up these trees and I learned about these two trees. And I thought they were thought to have been extinct. And they were found in a, in a uh, monastery in China in 1943. And these trees came back from the from extinction and now are found all over the world. By I think they found 13, 14 trees in a monastery. And I just thought, isn't horticulture amazing that a handful of trees can be found in 1943? And I'm looking at two amazing specimens in college. And it just opened my eyes to what horticulture can do and trees. And I actually now have two sequoias planted in front of my house. Uh, one for me and one for my wife. And I planted a taxodium between them when we got married. So um, uh, every day I look at two sequoias at college and every day I look at two sequoias at home. And it just... You know, there's, there's a lot behind them, you know, and there's a lot behind every plant, and it makes it hard to pick. <laughs> well, that's a, that's a great answer. Now, well, thank you very much to Richard McKenna from Provender Nurseries. That's been really great talking to you. We've covered a lot of ground, and it's been really interesting. And uh, I'm Matt Appleby, um, Hall Week's editor, and this is the Horticulture Week podcast. To make sure you never miss one, subscribe to or follow Horticulture Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. Once again, thanks to Richard, and goodbye until next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.